Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael speaks on leaving Lodabar. Almost good afternoon. Five minutes, six minutes, it'll be afternoon. Five minutes, it'll just be good noon. Six minutes, it'll be good afternoon. 11 o'clock, good to see you. Today is a great day. Today is also the fifth anniversary of my dad passing five years ago today. And uh, so I just want to honor him this morning. I um, said at, a fun- at his funeral, and it's still true now, in the midst of, oh my goodness, I remember between services and I forgot again. In the midst of, um, oh my, dysfunction and destruction, God had a plan. And his plan was a man, and his name was Jerry. And he faithfully fulfilled his assignment. So my dad brought our family a very long way from where he started to where I got to start is a vast difference. And so I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for his life. And I honor him. Love on mama a little bit today, extra if y'all will. And uh, I know she's thinking of him today. So thankful to have Padre with us. Padre um, is kind of a surrogate stand-in. I'm getting to do what I dreamed of doing with my dad, with Padre. So God is good like that. Isn't he good like that? So we're so thankful for him and love him. He actually shared um, in during worship in the first service, and I thought it was so appropriate that he would share today. And so we love Padre, we love having Padre. And uh, but I just want to say in public to everybody, we release Padre to to be Padre for everybody else that he needs to be Padre to as well. We won't be selfish with him, and uh, I believe. His best days of ministry are still ahead, and uh, in no way is he retired or slowed down. He's just uh, refocused and realigned and moving forward, and it's exciting to walk with him in that and see what he's doing and also just receive of what he brings to us as a family. And so with that... God's plan and him being a man and dad fulfilling his assignment. If you guys watch any old uh, Westerns, specifically in the 90s, this saying may mean something to you. For the rest of y'all, it may not mean anything. It means a lot to me. Um, I shall finish the game, my friend. I shall finish the game. So we will continue, sons. We will continue, fathers to fulfill and complete what God has started in our lives, in our lineage, in our families. We shall finish the game. We shall give our lives to accomplish. 
in, in Isaiah chapter 22, um, I don't remember the verse right off. 20, what'd you say? Isaiah 22, 22 and 23. I should just trust y'all, but I, I, don't, know, I don't know it either. I have to, have to read it. Yes, 23. Um, I shared this with my dad years ago. Um, another translation says, he will be driven in the ground like a tent peg to bring honor to his father's house. And so it's a, it's a twofold meaning for me. And um, I want to bring honor to my heavenly father's house. And I want to bring honor to my father's house. I love this in, I don't even remember which, uh, New Living Translation. He will bring honor to his family name. For I will drive him firmly in place like a nail in a wall. They will give him great responsibility and he will bring honor to even the lowliest members of his family. So let's do that. Amen. Let's finish. Let's go forward. How about let's laugh. <laughs> this little boy was overheard talking to himself as he walked through his backyard he had a baseball bat on his shoulder. He had a ball in his hand, and he's strutting across the yard, and I guess he's listened to some motivational speakers because he's walking across the yard, and he says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws the ball up, and he swings as hard as he can, and he misses, and he yells, strike one. And then he gets the bat, gets the ball, and he says it again. Closes his eyes. I am the greatest hitter in the world. He throws the ball up, swings, misses. He says, strike two. He's getting a little confused, so he picks up the bat and the ball, and he's looking at the bat, making sure there's not a hole in it. And throws the ball up again, swings as hard as he can, misses. And all of a sudden, his sadness and kind of like, oh, no, turned to joy and he said, strike three. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Look at the bright side. Struck himself out. That's talented right there. That's gifted. How many men are thankful for your little helper in life? Especially when you're trying to drive. How many people are thankful for your little helper? Oh, some of y'all are scared. Come on, just put it up. Come on, man, put it up. He's scared to put it up. Come on. Maxie, you gotta do it. You gotta put your hand up. I don't know where I'd be without my little helper while I drive. And, uh, you know, there's days she's at home. I just pull over on the side of the road and call her. Please come. I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. Uh... <laughs> That's not the joke, but it's pretty funny. So this guy has a little helper, okay? A police officer pulls over a speeding car. The officer says, I clocked you at 80 miles an hour, sir. The driver says, oh my officer, I had it on cruise control at 60. Perhaps your radar gun needs calibrating. The wife's over knitting in her seat, and without even looking up, she says, you know we don't have cruise control in this car. 
As the officer writes out the ticket, the driver looks over at his wife and growls, can't you please be quiet for once? The wife smiles and says, you should be thankful your radar detector went off when it did or you'd have been going even faster. As the officer makes out the second ticket for the illegal radar detector, the man looks at his wife again and cleanses his teeth and says, woman, can't you be quiet? The officer frowns and says, and I noticed that you're not wearing your seatbelt, sir. That's an automatic $75 fine. The driver says, yeah, well, you see, officer, I had it on but took it off when you pulled me over so that I could get my license out of my pocket. The wife says, now, dear, you know very well that you didn't have your seatbelt on. You never wear your seatbelt when you're driving. As the police officer is writing out the third ticket, the driver turns to his wife and barks, will you please shut up? The officer looks at the woman and asks, does your husband always talk to you this way, ma'am? She said, only when he's been drinking. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <laughs> only when he's been drinking, officer. <laughs> And he goes to jail. <laughs> and the wife. <laughs> awesome. So the Lord did it again this morning. I usually say I don't like it when he does this. I probably should stop saying that because I like it when the Lord speaks to me. I don't ever want him to stop speaking. Sometimes I just don't like what I have to do when he gets done speaking. You know, like if I've already prepared a sermon, I don't want to prepare another sermon. And sometimes on Sunday morning that happens and it happened again today. And so I woke up this morning. Let me get this real quick. I woke up this morning hearing Isaac Bean singing. Okay. Okay. See, the songs that we sing here on Sundays, I don't know who sings them, like, like who recorded them. I just know who sings them here. So I'm always like, that song Hannah sings, that song, you know, that song um, Isaac sings. And so I, I just woke up this morning hearing Isaac Bean sing this song. I'm feasting with the king who left his throne for me. Forgiveness isn't fair, but it's my reality. He is holy, and I am underdressed. And then again, I'm feasting with the king who left his throne for me. Forgiveness isn't fair, but it's my reality. He is holy, and I am underdressed. Just, I'm talking about from the minute I... I'm conscious this morning, that's the very first thing that I hear before the clock goes off, is I'm feasting with the king who left his throne for me. Forgiveness isn't free, but it's my reality. He is holy and I am underdressed. And at that moment, I knew it's going to be a long morning. <laughs> and so I said, okay, 
Lord, clearly we're doing something different today than what I had planned. So everybody turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is like almost the exact same time I started last service. Uh, it was 10 after 10. Now it is 7 after 12. And it's supposed to be done at 10.30, supposed to be done at 12.30. We got done at a little bit after that, and we probably will this time. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I just want to say thank you for um, your flexibility with the two services. Thank you for embracing this process. And um, as you look around, I think that we heard the Lord on what we were supposed to do. And I'm happy to report since four weeks before Easter when we started two services for Invite Fight, we have had the amount of people here every service since then that would not fit in one service. I don't know, probably didn't hear me. I'm saying (laughs) since four weeks before Easter when we went to two services, we have not had a number here that could fit in one service since then. I, I was thinking probably, I know I need to speak up uh, and I'm working on it. I'm just awkward up here, right? That's an inside joke. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter nine. <clears throat> then David said, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul so that I could show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David had made a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's son. So David was attempting to honor the covenant and was asking if there was anybody that he could show kindness to for Jonathan's sake in the house of Saul. Verse two, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and they summoned him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Then the king said, is there no one remaining of the house of Saul to whom I could show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is disabled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. The king, David, sent messengers who brought him from the house of Machir to the the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, lots of fun names in this passage. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here is your servant. Then David said to him, do not be afraid for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, 
What is your servant that you should be concerned about a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, everything that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, in accordance with everything that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table regularly, and he was disabled in his two feet." We're feasting with the king who left his throne for me. Forgiveness isn't fair, but it's my reality. He's holy, but I am underdressed. I, as I was hearing that song over and over, and I'm asking the Lord, where do you, where do you want me to go? What do you, how do you want me to communicate this? And he brought to my mind this story of Mephibosheth. And I read a book years ago, I think Rod Parsley wrote it, if I remember correctly, uh, No More Crumbs. And it's about Mephibosheth coming from Lodabar into the king's palace and in, at his to his table. And it's, Rod Parsley says Lodabar is not a destination. And as I was studying some this morning in my vast amount of time, I came to the same conclusion as Rod Parsley, uh, Lodabar, very, um, very, oh my gosh, what's the word? Exact, very literal, very literally, very um, accurately, none of those are the words I'm looking for, but we'll go with all of them, it's great, Um, (laughs) directly translated is no pasture. Lodabar, low means no. So <laughs> the, the first word of the name of the town is no. That's the land of no. And it's no a lot of stuff, okay? So if you're looking through this, um, most directly, it's no pasture. Debar is pasture. So no pasture could also be translated no word, no communication, no thing. So it's like nothing town. It's not flavor town, it's nothing town. It's nothingville, not a destination. Like Jahan always says, when we're driving through places that don't have a Walmart, she's like, why in the world would anybody live here? This is in the middle of nowhere. And I've tried to explain to her that people have to live everywhere, you know. And if we're driving through it, there are roads that can take them somewhere else to get the things they need. 
But so it's in the middle of nowhere. Nothingville, nothing town, nowhereville, in the middle of nowhere. Here's some more. Without order. Disorderly. No leader. Not governed. Rebellious. No shepherd. Without pasture. Barren. Undisciplined. Substanceless. And unillumined. So it's dark. Nothing. No word. No leadership. No government. No nothing. It's like it's not supposed to even be there. It's just like squat. The whole town is just a squatter's paradise. It's anarchy. It's dog eat dog. It, there's no government. There's no leadership. There's no structure. There's no anything. There's no town hall. There is no rule. There is no law. It is absolute chaos and dysfunction. It's horrible. No one is supposed to be there. Yet Mephibosheth finds himself there. And as he tells the king, he's a dead dog. This is how Mephibosheth sees himself, which causes him to gravitate to a dead dog place. Because Mephibosheth was dropped when Saul and Jonathan died and there was the enemy that was approaching. They grabbed Mephibosheth, the nurse, and was running out of the house, nurse, nanny, whatever, and she dropped Mephibosheth and injured him, and that's when he became lame. So he's from a house of just fallen king. He's from a house of a losing warrior. He's from the house of... Uh, of all kinds of failure and he's dropped and he's lame and he lives in Lodabar. It's a pretty not great existence, wouldn't you say? Pretty horrible existence. Now let's contrast these definitions of Lodabar to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have a shepherd. That's good. I will not be in need. Now, if you're in nothing town and you have nothing, then you're in a perpetual state of need. But in him, we are not in need because we have a shepherd. We have a father who knows what we need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. There's pastures. Isn't that great? He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Even this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Aren't you glad that he has a rod and a staff? That he speaks, even correction, even if you don't like what you have to do after he speaks, right? But his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Because at least I have a father who loves me enough to use a rod on me. 
He prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And I love this verse six. So Ziba did not want to bring Mephibosheth because he was afraid David would kill Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth did not want to come because he was afraid David would kill him. I'm not falling for that trick, right? I mean, Saul tried to kill David all these times. David's the new king, and he says, anybody left from the last king's family that tried to kill me? I just want to talk to you, I swear. I just want to say, hey. <laughs> yeah, just stand right there over that trap door to the dungeon. I just want to talk, man. It's just we're cool here, right? And so he's scared to go. So Mephibosheth assumes in the middle of Lodabar that if the king in his palace wants to talk to him, the only thing, intention that he would have towards him is to kill him. He could not... Imagine that the king would actually want to show him goodness and kindness, but certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. So we come from Lodabar into the house of the Lord and we see that his intention for us is the opposite of Lodabar. It's not no pasture, it's all pasture. It's not no word, he's always speaking. It's not no thing, it's all things. It's not nothingville, it's everythingville. It's more than we ask, think, or even imagine, everything. He's everything in a bag of chips, right? It's not not a destination, it is the ultimate destination. It's not in the middle of nowhere, it's in the middle of everywhere. It's a will within a will. I mean, he is the source of all things and through him all things were created. It's in the middle of everywhere. It's not without order, it's with perfect order. It's not without no leader, it's the king of kings and the lord of lords, the ultimate leader. It's not not governed, it's governed by the one whose government's increase of his government will know no end. It's not rebellious, we're submitted. It's not no shepherd, we have a shepherd and we know his voice, right? It's not barren, we're fruitful. When we bear fruit, it brings him glory. He loves it. We're not substanceless, we're full and overflowing. My cup runneth over of substance. We're not undisciplined, we have a father with his rod and it comforts us. And we're not unillumined. A light has shone in darkness. And it has lit a path for us full of grace and truth. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you're God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time, you were not God's people. You were dead dogs in Lodabar. 
You were not God's people, but now you are. At one time, you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet. But now you are drenched with it. You're drenched with his mercy. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, and his fullness fills you. Does that sound like Lodabar? His fullness fills you. Regularly eats at the table. His fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. Anarchy, crazy, not a destination, no purpose, no nothing. We just responded to impulses of our flesh like a bunch of animals living as rebellious children, subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But God still loved us with such a great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Sitting at the table with the sons, we become a son. I love, Rod Parsley points out in the book, Oh, it's probably been 20 years since I read that book that, um, you know, you couldn't see Mephibosheth's problem when he's sitting at the table. He looked like all the other sons. All of our insufficiencies and inadequacies are gone when we're sitting at the table. But aren't you glad that they're not just hidden? They're not just hidden. I mean, what, we're reading a story from the Old Testament. How much further does it go in the new? We're born again. Christ died as us. We're born again as him. The life we now live in the flesh, we live through Christ. It's us. It's him who lives in us. So it's not just hidden. It's completely done. We're born again as a son. There is no delineation. You can't... You can't find it if you look under the table. We're sons and we're heirs and we're joint heirs with Christ. I, uh, my intention with these passages from Psalm 23, from First Peter and from uh, Ephesians is to help contrast the difference between Lodabar and the king's house. Lodabar and the king's house. Where we used to be and where we are now. 
our place of complete dysfunction and disorder and disaster to where we are today. Not perfect, but pressing toward the mark and eating at the table and enjoying a feast with the king, right? Forgiveness isn't free, but it's my reality. He is holy and I'm underdressed, but it's okay. I'm sitting here anyway, right? Clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I'm in his name. I come as him. And I believe where the Lord is taking us today as I wake up and hear that song, and it may sound like a, like a stretch, but where he just led me, we're feasting with the king is, you know, sometimes as a pastor, I can get a little maybe inward focused because the people that I mostly see and minister to and a large responsibility in my life, I mean, I've been on staff in churches for many years and, and what I don't want to do with my life is maintain a church. I was just so over maintaining a church and I thought, we're gonna plant a church and it's gonna be a different church that we don't maintain, but do you know that churches take maintenance? They do, you know. And if there's 300 people, they take a, I mean, if you had 300 people living at your house, just think about the maintenance, you know? I mean, the little things, just air condition, I mean, it takes maintenance. Just things, things happen, right? Things go, all right? You all have lives and you have needs and, you know, we're a church and we're a family. And so we want to, we want to be there for our family, okay? So it takes some systems and some processes and some communications and some meetings. Um, Britton said, man, you have a lot of meetings. I was like, yeah, that's my life, meetings, a lot of meetings. You go to lunch with a lot of people. Yeah, that's my job. Just, just meet with people, have lunch with people. It's a good job. I mean, it pays dividends. But, you know, I, I, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again, while I'm sitting at the table with all of my family that are also at the table, I feel a great responsibility, one of the greatest mandates on my life. Matter of fact, I received a prophetic word. I went to a, a prophetic conference this weekend in Greensboro, North Carolina, and went up for prayer because if I'm in a service and I don't have responsibility, I go up for prayer, right? Every time, all the time. And I go up for prayer and, and I'm just receiving and the Lord's ministering to me and the gentleman comes over and he says, I see you bending down and putting your shoulder under something and lifting it up because it wasn't level. It wasn't balanced. And he said, a lot of people could leave it unbalanced, but you can't leave it unbalanced. You have to fix it. You have to, it has to be right. And uh, man, somebody gave me a word years ago, you see cracks in a foundation and you can't overlook them, you have to fix them. You can't just leave them that way. And he said, it's like a wobbly table and you're trying to eat on it. 
You have to fix it. You can't leave it that way. And what I used to think was a problem in my life, and it can be if you take it to the extreme, but what I used to think was a problem is really just part of my gifting. If I walk in here, people could be just experiencing the most amazing encounter with the Lord, but I'm going to see that they put a period on the wrong place on the, on the lyrics because I'm details and I'm a builder. So I look at builders and what's my pet peeve, Philip? He's worked with me for many years. If we're building and we make a mistake and you say, no one will see that. It makes no difference if anybody sees it or not. It has to be right. And I tell you, some of the things we think nobody sees doesn't show up till about three generations down the road. So you might want to fix that foundation. You might want to fix that crack and you might want to level up that bad theology. You might want to bring some balance to it. See, like last week, itching ears is not just people who want to do whatever they want. It's also people who want to yell at other people because they're so spiritual anyways. I don't know where I was going with all this, but mashed potatoes? Oh, yeah, thank you. That's an abstract hint. I don't need hints. Just tell me directly. Mashed potatoes. Oh, okay. Uh, I, <laughs> so I use mashed potatoes as an example in the first service. So part of leveling up to me and part of balance to me and part of making sure the people of God are receiving the fullness of the kingdom in a huge passion of mine, I'm sitting at the table and we're all together, right? We're all eating together. But if I've tasted something at the table... Or if the Lord, maybe I hadn't even tasted it yet. There's some things I haven't even tasted yet, but I know they're on the table because the Lord showed them to me. I haven't tasted raising the dead yet, but I know it's on the table because the Lord showed it to me. <laughs> and I believe it, I'm going to taste it one day. But if there's mashed potatoes on the table and you don't know there's mashed potatoes on the table, I want you to know that you got some mashed potatoes if you want them. There's people sitting at the table, they've left Lodabar, but they're sitting at the table eating peanut butter and jelly. It's like, what are you doing? But if we're not careful, remember, I don't know if you guys remember the analogy I made before, the word of God is like the map at Dollywood that tells you where all the rides are and what time all the, but more important than the rides, what time all the shows are, okay? Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm old, right, I guess? And I'm getting older every day, thank you, Lord. Come on, older every day. But I like the shows. So you get that map and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I plan our whole, I can't go through all that, but I plan our whole day like based on the shows. And if a show's by a ride, y'all can ride it, but we're going to the show, right? So you plan, and that's what the word of God is. It's like, man, He's just so loving and so good that he just gave us a roadmap to make sure we don't miss any of the shows and we don't miss any of the adventures and we don't miss any of the rides. Well, that's great, but you missed the 3.30, so I'm gonna give it another chance at six. 
You missed financial freedom because you didn't understand the principle. And so I just went ahead and we put another show at six. I'm going to give you another chance. Let's, let's just go deeper, right? You miss healing and believe in God for healing. So we just want to give you another chance. So we want to make sure you see it. He's just always speaking and always moving. And what I thought of in first service is when, we, when we're at this table, it's like the menu. I just came back from Argentina. I didn't read one menu the whole time I was there because I couldn't. <laughs> and I just said, order me, make, order me something good. And all but one meal was amazing. And one meal was not. <laughs> and that one meal may be what I've been dealing with for the last week and a half too. But this menu, like... Sometimes it's not even in English. We don't even understand it. We need revelation. We need insight. We need interpretation. <laughs> we need counsel. I was getting counsel some, you know? We need somebody who understands what it says to help us understand what it says. And we're always on this journey to understand what it says. And that's a huge part of what we do as a church. And it's just, I mean, we're at the table. We're going to spend eternity with him. But it's his heart for us to enjoy the process and partake of it. We're seated with him so that he can lavish on us the riches of the kingdom for all of eternity. Not just seated with him. That's not the full function and the full purpose of what he's done for us. He didn't just seat us there for position. He sat us there for purpose. And the purpose is to lavish. So he wants us to be lavished upon. So we need to avail ourselves to the menu and not say, I'm full. I've had, I mean, that's all, I don't care. That drives me crazy. You ever ask somebody what they want? I ask my kids, like, what do you want? I don't care. Either one. Well, like, I literally have to speak one of these to the waitress. Do you think I care which one? Please just tell me which one. Apathy, indecision. Do I want to try? Do I want to believe? Do I want to trust? Do I want to doubt? Do I want to withdraw? Do I want to retract? This process of trying to discover just the table. But here, sometimes we can get into... Instead of Bible studies, I like to call them menu studies. We all just, all of us just sit around and we have a bunch of meetings where we look over the menu, which is great. Which is great. But while we're all having our menu studies and we're all trying to find one more amazing thing that we haven't tasted or seen yet, there's still a whole group of people that are in Nothingville. Who've never even been to the table. How can we just sit around and have menu study after menu study, tasting after tasting, exploration after exploration, methods after methods. Reminds me of Bubba Gump. Broiled shrimp, fried shrimp, 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 I mean, how many shrimps are we going to eat before we give somebody in Lodabar at least one shrimp? 
It's good. It's amazing. We should be doing it simultaneously. Growing in discovery, yet never forgetting. Growing in discovery, yet never leaving them behind. If everybody would look at 2 Kings, actually, we're going to paraphrase a lot, so you can write it down if you want. 2 Kings chapter 6. Wow. 2 Kings chapter 6. What had happened was, <laughs> the king of Aram got upset and besieged Samaria in an effort to get Elisha, who had deceived him, and all this stuff. Okay, long story. But fact is, a bad army, bad army, okay, that's good. Instead of the Aramites, just bad army, surrounded the good people, right? Elisha. And besieged means they just cut them off and were trying to starve them out. And so eventually they die or they surrender and potentially die. Either way, there's a complete disregard for what happens to them. It's just suffocate them and end them. And so that's what Aram did. And so it got so bad in Samaria that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. I've read this story many times, and I know it's a serious situation, but I have no idea how serious. You know, you read the Bible sometimes, you're like, 80 shekels of silver for a donkey's head? What does that mean? I don't know. It'd be like 50 cents. That's a good deal. Who knows? I don't know. So sometimes we need to do a little background check, okay? Do you know that 80 shekels, two shekels of silver is a month's wages? So 80 shekels of silver, oh my goodness, I did this. I don't know why I did it in first service. So easy. 40 months, yeah, is what I did. So it's like, you go to the store, I'd like a donkey head, please, for one or two meals for my family. And they say, um, that'll be 36 months, same as cash. You know, 36, I mean, you'd be paying on it for three years. And four months, to be exact. <laughs> three years and four months for one meal. What the scripture is telling us here is it's impossible. It's an impossible situation. It's a no pasture situation again. It's a no harvest situation. It's a no fruit situation. A fourth of a cab of dove's dung was sold for five shekels. Hold your cup up again. Had her show. Hey, is it, it's gone. First service. So a quart is a cab. A fourth of a quart is a cup. So one little cup of dove poop costs two and a half months' salary. Enjoy. It's good. It's desperate. It's so desperate that 
a woman comes to the king and she says, I desperately need your help. This lady told me that if we would kill my son and eat him one day, that she would kill her son the next day and we could eat her son. So we killed my son and we ate my son and the next day she hid her son and now I'm out my son and she won't give me her son. And the king rents his clothes and he's in mourning and ashes. That's desperation, horrible. This is the situation in Samaria. The Lord speaks to Elisha, says by this time tomorrow, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but measures of flour and all of this stuff, it's like blue light special at Kmart. And you all don't even know what that is probably unless you're 40 or older. Blue light special at Kmart, it's a good deal, okay? Black Friday, okay, whatever. It's Cyber Monday for flour, okay? So they're saying it's gonna go from an impossible situation like nothing, lack, impossible, not a destination to it's gonna be so overflowing that it's gonna be like giving it away this time tomorrow. And there's a guy that worked for the king a guy on which the king's arm leaned, if you want to be exact. I'm just kidding. Uh, guy that worked for the king, and he said, hey, even if God were to open the windows of heaven, as if it were windows in heaven, could this be? Like, if there were windows in heaven and God opened them, could this be? And Elisha said, it will be, and you'll see it but you won't taste of it. Skip forward to the next day. We'll retract to what happened in a second. Next day, it happened exactly the way Elisha said it would happen. And it was buzzing so much on, in the city that the guy that worked for the king was put in charge of the gate. The people got so excited, they trampled him on the gate. He saw the good prices. He saw what was happening, but he didn't get to partake of it because they trampled him at the gate. Just a little side note, if you go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and it's talking about bringing your tithes into the storehouse, and it says, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. That is God being sarcastic because of the sarcasm that was used to insult him before. He wanted to remind everybody that I've been insulted before. Somebody tried to tell me I couldn't do something before, but you bring it to me and you see if I don't do what I did before. I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. And that's what I love about God. But here's what happened. I know, we gotta go. There were four lepers sitting outside of Samaria. And they decided two, one of three things is going to happen. Even though it's against the law, we're going to go in Samaria and try to find some scraps or try to throw ourselves on the mercy of the court because we've got leprosy. We can't go in there. We've got to be out here. And they'll probably kill us. Or go to the Arameans camp who have besieged us and maybe they'll keep us as prisoners of war and feed us. I mean, I don't know. Or they may kill us. So either one of those two options, there's a possibility that we somehow live. The third option is to stay right here and die. 
this is a definite death right here. So they decide, we're going to go to the camp of the Arameans. And they go to the camp of the Arameans, and when they get there, no one's there. Not, not, nobody's home. And they could tell, according to Scripture, that they had left in a hurry because of the way everything was strewn about. It's like they had tried to pack all their belongings and run, and they had dropped money and dropped food and dropped clothes and dropped things, and you could tell they fled in a hurry. And so they left all their food, all their gold, all their silver, all their clothes, everything, everything. Nothing, everything, everything, nothing, right? Come on. It's flipped upside down. And so they go, and so they go into a tent. And you know what had happened was God had made a sound like a mighty army of chariots was coming at the Arameans and they freaked out so bad and they knew it was imminent death that they ran and never looked back. And so these four lepers are sitting in here and they go into the first tent and they're just eating till their heart is content. And they've stuffed, it's like national treasure when they find the treasure. I mean, they're stuffing gold and silver and things everywhere they can. And they're like, this is about, and they're eating. At the same time, they're wearing eight coats. You know, it's like, this is, this is amazing. And as they're enjoying it, the feast and the mashed potatoes and all the things, they look at each other. And scripture says it like this. They say, this is not right. How can we sit here and partake of all of this while in Samaria, even though they kicked us out, even though they hated us and mistreated us, still, even with that, they couldn't wish it on their worst enemy, what was happening there. And they said, we've got to go tell them. So they go into Samaria and they tell the king and he thinks it's a trap and all this and they find a way to check it out and they go and they find out it's real and that's why wheat was so cheap. Barley was so cheap. They had more than they could handle. It was on discounted special like it was about to go out of date because they couldn't even keep it. so much of it. From eating your kid one day to the blue light special the next day to more than you can handle the next day to an impossible situation one day, to more than you can handle the next. Because somebody said, it's not right that I just enjoy this while they sit in there and die. How can we sit around the table? All of our indiscretions and insufficiencies and deformities and problems taken away. Regularly dining, feasting with the king who left his throne for us. And literally people, I think it's amazing that the nanny dropped Mephibosheth. And I think it's amazing that the woman ate her son because in places of desperation, children get damaged. 
children get destroyed. There's a whole generation of children that are destroyed because of the dysfunction of their parents. And we're over here. I hate that for them. But for the grace of God was I, but thankfully I'm not. I could just preach it hard like y'all people so nasty and selfish and prideful and terrible. But you know what I think the problem is? What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think the problem is we don't see ourselves healed. We don't see ourselves accepted. We don't see ourselves whole. We feel like that we're not even supposed to be there, so we don't feel like it's okay to bring a plus one. Come on, we're spending all our time trying to find out if we're supposed to be there, waiting on some sign, waiting on the Lord to affirm us somehow. If he gives me a position, if he gives me a place, if they ask me to sing, if the pastor shakes my hand, if all the things, if the stars align, I'll think I'm accepted and things are good. We're waiting on that all the time instead of accepting what is completed, what is finished, what is done, and then making a commitment and making a covenant with the Lord that I will go to Lodabar and I will get every other son I know. I'll get every other daughter, every dysfunctional person, every derelict, every problem, and I will bring them in here if you're telling me they've got a seat. And he's telling you they've got a seat. Go out and compel them. Go out and bring them and I'm not talking about bringing them to church I'm talking about bringing them to the kingdom you can bring them here if you want but bring them to the kingdom but I can't yell at you to love your neighbor more I gotta yell at you to love you more because you love him because he first loved you that's why it's number one because you can't love you or your neighbor unless you've done number one first And you can't love him unless you realize how much he loves you. It's one of our core values here. Our love for him is directly proportionate to our revelation of his love for us. And so we love him because he first loved us and that empowers us to love us so that we can love others like us. The staff, it's kind of an inside joke. Man, we're so late. It's so good. The staff kind of is an inside joke. I think one time I got confused or maybe just thought I was about to get confused and said it, both of them. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how it came up the first time. But you know, self-deprecating is very close to self-defecating. <laughs> And I can't say one without thinking of the other one. One means to belittle or undervalue oneself. And one is to poop on yourself. So I'll leave you with this today. 
Not only do they sound alike, I think they're pretty much the same. So here's our problem as a church. We're running around with a poopy diaper on so we don't feel like we have anything to say to the rest of the world who's sitting around with their poopy diapers on. Because we're constantly self-deprecating and defecating, pooping on ourselves. Come on, we're not listening to what he says about us. We're listening to what the world says about us and we echo it to ourselves and it's like pooping on ourselves. And then we don't feel qualified to go try to get anybody else cleaned up because we always feel gross. We always feel dirty. We always feel nasty because we will not accept what Jesus did for us. If you're dirty, that means he's dirty because it's not your righteousness, but it's his righteousness. And if you think you're bad enough to make Jesus dirty, you're crazy. When people touched his garment, they didn't make him unclean. He made them clean. Stand up. We got to go. You know, these little cards we give out, we call them invite cards. That never really was that the intention of them. I don't know. They don't say, I don't think they're specifically say invite. They're supposed to just say, Something encouraging to people. I mean, I'm sure it has something about the church on it, but that's not the point of it. And if it makes you feel gross because you think it's some type of angle, we'll take the church off of it or print your own. But it's so awesome to just leave something for your server or hand something to somebody. We need to be echoing what heaven says to a world in Lodabar. We need to be constantly inviting them to the table, constantly inviting them out of their place of rebellion and out of their place of no shepherd and out of their place of no posture and out of their place of no promise and their place of no purpose and their place of just everything, destruction and dysfunction. Invite them into the place of sonship and daughtership and resting at a table and feasting with a king and sitting around with brothers and sisters and exploring the mashed potatoes and exploring the fullness of the promise together. It's a life of bliss. It's a life of promise. Yeah, there's struggles, but he's with us. He promised I'll go with you even to the end. And if he's with us, what can be against us? I just want us to freshly commit ourselves to the people of Lodabar. I forgot to tell first service and I meant to tell y'all this earlier, but you guys sent me to Argentina. And while I was in Argentina, I didn't pay for one meal and I didn't pay for my hotels, which you guys sent me with money to pay for it all. And I didn't do any of that. So you know what I did? I came home and I bought me a ticket to Columbia. Yeah. So I'm going to Columbia this month. Yes, sir. If you want to give to that, do it. Tag missions. 
Because when I get home from Columbia, if I've got, if you guys are still sending, then I'm going to go to, I think it's Brazil. Yeah. And when I get home from Brazil, if you're still sending, I'm going to go, I don't know where else. Yeah. India's on the docket this year. So many places, but listen, yes. I want us to recommit ourselves to our families, yeah. to our communities, to our city to our state, to our nation, and to the nations of the world. <laughs> We're going to Lodabar wherever Lodabar is. We're going to rescue people out of Lodabar. <laughs> and we're going to bring them to a shepherd and we're going to bring them to a pasture and we're going to bring them to a feast and we're going to bring them to a cup that overflows and we're going to bring them to a loving father. Yes. They're going to put on his righteousness. Yeah. They're going to be clean. Yeah. They're going to be in right identity. They're going to be in right identity. And every assignment of hell is going to be broken off of them. Every assignment to bring about rebellion and godlessness is going to be broken off of them just by looking into the eyes of the Father. We're going to go get them. We're going to go get them. We're going to go get them out of the out of the communities in this around here for vacation Bible school. We're going to go get kids and we're going to bust them in here. When we go canvassing, I want us to recommit to this, church. I don't want us just to sit around a table. We're going to a laundromat this weekend. Emily, no condemnation, no stones, but so far, every time there's been a laundry love, Emily's been by herself. One person in our church is doing laundry love. Should not be. This week, my family's going to be there loving on the people at the laundromat. Come on, we're going to buy their laundry. We're going to tell them that God loves them. We're going to offer to fold it. We're going to offer to do whatever. We're just going to love on people. This Saturday, we're going to go into the communities again and canvas for Vacation Bible School. Man, we should, have, we should be swarming that place like ants on an anthill or ants on a peanut butter sandwich. I don't know. You want to say something? The last, the last time we went, we went a couple, a week and a half ago. It was just six of us. We got a lot of ground covered though. And we were walking in a neighborhood and I, I got caught by a lady that we ministered to at Laundry Love. Do you remember Miss Patty that we blessed? I got caught by her and she was like, I know you, you're from Redemption Life. And she starts telling me all that God had done. And I got to pray with her and Jeremy and Jennifer were praying with the lady and the lady told him, I was just in my bathroom crying out for a sign, asking God, just begging God, give me a sign. And then you knocked on my door. What we do matters. It matters. And the reality is, it's not that we don't have time. It's we don't make the time. Other stuff gets ahead of what we're doing. And I, I remember walking thinking, oh my gosh, I, I have time for this. It was one hour, one hour. But we had divine encounter in that one hour. They were ready, waiting on us, crying out for us to come. And, and we showed up. And I, and I meant that Sunday to testify about that, and I totally forgot. I've heard two stories in the last week 
one time or whenever I was, maybe it's two weeks now, when I was in Argentina, they canvassed for the crusade before we got there to bring families in. And that was the second time I'd heard this story and I'd heard a different story a week before. And I don't remember where I heard that one, but they were canvassing for the crusade and they were going around knocking on doors and it was the students. And they knocked on a door, nobody came. And they literally stayed at that door for five minutes knocking on the door. They wouldn't stop. Eventually this person came to the door. They were in that moment, in that exact moment, they were attempting suicide in their house. And they heard the knock and they said, I'll just wait just a minute, it'll go away. And they incessantly wouldn't quit knocking. So they eventually came to the door and God radically intervened with them, taking their own life. Man, we, I mean, it's not like, you don't have to preach a five point sermon. Let's just pray that God would give us opportunities and divine appointments, but let's just commit ourselves. That's all I'm asking right now. Not a game plan, not a five year per process. Just, can we just recommit ourselves? We're available to go to Lodabar. We're available to go where you brought us from to go back and get the others to go back and get the lame and the broken, the dead dogs, the corpses that we used to be. We just say we're ready to go back and get them. We won't leave them while we eat. We'll bring them to the feast. In Jesus' name. Prayer team, will you come? If anybody wants specific prayer this morning, will you just come down and let the prayer team pray for you? These people are ready to pray. They're excited to pray. They have something to give. They have something to pour. Hey, I love this. Padre told me this last week. Do you know that people that pray need to practice? So I'd like to make this a new part of our invitation. If you don't need prayer, but these people look like they need to practice praying, Come on, they've asked me to ask you, let them practice praying. Come down and say, hey, this ain't for me, but I'm just gonna let you practice praying. I don't care what reason, just come on. But if you wanna come home tonight, if you've been in Lodabar and you wanna come home today, just come to this banner. They'll meet you here. Come to the table, come home. We love you. We'll see you tonight. We're going to worship God tonight outside or inside at Illuminate Campus at 6 o'clock. We'll see you there. You work and And I'm alive and well. Your spirit lives within me because you died and rose again. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Redemption Life Church.